0: So that last song we just sang, Living Hope, is a phenomenal song. I love that song because it reminds us that something as mysterious as death is turned into something hopeful because of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. God created us to be a hope-shaped people. He created us to be people who long for and look for hope. He created us to be people who long for fulfillment, not sitting back and being content with nothing but the here and now, but he created us to be reaching, inquiring, searching, learning, grasping, and hoping. The Bible, through the author Solomon Ecclesiastes, puts it this way. He says that he has made everything appropriate in his time and he has also put eternity in their hearts. God placed within the heart of every single human being this longing for something eternal, this longing for eternity. It's in every single one of the humans that were created. God has always created us to be this people who long for eternity, and that place, that eternity in our hearts that he created, that longing will not be filled by anything except eternity itself. There is a void that can't be satisfied by the things of this world. In a sense, we are ruined for temporary fulfillment in this life. We are creatures of hope and we experience things that are fulfilling in this life. We experience joys. We experience fulfillment through things that God has blessed us with. But those things will never fill us ultimately. And they're there in our lives to help stoke a fire, if you will, to get us to look to something that's even a greater fulfillment. And that greater fulfillment is what I want to talk about this morning as we close our series called Taste of Heaven. The future for followers of Jesus Christ could not be any more hopeful. It could not be any more brighter. And the text we're going to look at today shows us that. And so I want you to dive in. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it up to Isaiah chapter 65. Uh, Isaiah is kind of a tricky book to get to. If you have a Bible, it's sort of in the middle, a little to the right. Uh, if you, gotta, you have to go through um, Psalms and Proverbs Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, then you get to Isaiah. If you hit Jeremiah or Ezekiel, you went too far. Uh, if you are using an electronic Bible, I'm in the Christian Standard Version. But this text about the new heaven and the new earth will help us to have hope as we live our lives today. We talked about earlier in the series how the present heaven that we have now, The place where Jesus currently is, the place where our Christian loved ones are with Jesus, the place where the apostles are, the place where Jesus said to the thief on the cross, Today you'll be with me in paradise. That current present heaven is glorious. It's paradise. It's amazing. But it's not our forever home as Christians, it's only temporary. And many people don't realize that. The current, present heaven we have is a temporary heaven. When Jesus returns, as he says, he would and he will. When he returns, he's going to do four things. First, he's going to establish his rule and reign on the current earth. Second, he is going to have what's known in the Bible as the great white throne judgment. Where those who have not followed, those who have uh, been anti his gospel message will get their final judgment. Third, he's going to, what the Bible says, vanquish Satan. Satan will be destroyed and done away with once and for all. And fourth, he's going to establish what we're going to talk about today. This new heavens and new earth. This place where we will live forever. This place where, as Christians, we will live with Christ forever and ever and ever. He's going to establish that. And before I dive in this text, I want to show you from the Bible that this new world that he's going to establish is not for everyone. The Bible is clear, and I'd not be faithful if I didn't tell you this, that this is for a select group of people who have invited Christ into their life and have chosen to follow him. So there's two groups of people. The first group of people are known as those who he calls chosen ones or servants. If you look at verses back up and you look in Isaiah 65 and verses 8 to 10, it says, The on verse eight, the Lord says this, as the new wine is found in a bunch of grapes and no one says don't destroy it for there's some good in it, so I will act because of my servants and not destroy them all. If you jump to verse 10, it said, Sharon will be a pasture for flocks in the valley of Achor, a place for herds to lie down for my people who have sought me. The new heavens and the new earth are for people who have sought after God with their whole heart. It's the people who long for God, the people who gave their life to God, the people who invited Christ Jesus into their lives to be their Savior and Lord. Those are the ones who will reap this new heaven and new earth. Because there's a second group that we see in the Bible and in Isaiah 65 And we see it in verses 1 and 2. It says in verse 1, I was sought by those who did not ask. I was found by those who did not seek me. Verse 2, I spread out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in the path that is not good, following their own thoughts. You see a contrast here. In verse 14, it says, my servants will shout for joy from a glad heart, but you will cry out from an anguished heart and you will lament out of a broken spirit. See, the first group is promised food, drink, joy, gladness, eternity. The second group is promised hunger, thirst, pain, anguished heart, lament, and a broken spirit for eternity. But God's people who've received God's invitation to walk with him and to know him and to be with him will receive a new nature. They'll get a new name and they will have the fulfillment of all that God has promised to his people. So with that, I want us to look at this new heavens and new earth that Jesus promises he's going to establish when he comes back where we will all reign together with him as his people who pray even now come Lord Jesus. So let's take a look at this new heaven and new earth. In Isaiah 65 verses 17 to 25, I'm going to kind of go through each of these verses slowly. Let's read the first two. It says, for I will create a new heaven and a new earth. The past events will not be remembered or come to mind, Then be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating, for I will create Jerusalem to be a joy and its people to be a delight. God opens this up with saying, I will create. God is a creator. It harkens back to the book of Genesis. And the reason for all that exists and all that we have in the here and now is God. God created the universe and our world out of nothing. Nothing was, and then he created. He is the ultimate creator, the creator of the universe. There is this scientific thought in some that feel like nothing by itself without a creator produces Something. I never understood why people jump on that bandwagon because we see it nowhere in our existence today. You can't take a pile of components and put it on the floor and someday it turns into a cell phone. You don't take a brick and put it in the parking lot and all of a sudden out of nowhere it becomes a building. It becomes dust. If things exist, they need a creator. And before the universe existed, God was. God had no beginning. And that's hard for us to wrap our minds around. Father, Son, Holy Spirit always existed. They never had a beginning. And then they purposed to create the universe. And because God spoke, because he was moved by his will and his power and his creativity. He spoke and brought into existence what we have as the universe today. And here we see when the new heavens and the new earth comes, right away in verse 17, God says, I will create again. We see that new create, the new heavens new earth will be created by our master creator. And it will be an amazing place where we will all live forever. So what about that place? You've asked some questions about it, and I want to cover those first. What happens to Christians when they die? When Christians die, their souls immediately go into the presence of Jesus in heaven. It's an immediate action. Within seconds of a Christian's death, they are present with Jesus in heaven And they do that even as imperfect Christians. When you become a Christian, what that means is you are trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross to get you into heaven, not your good behavior and holding to good tenets. Your trust is in Christ and Christ alone. And for those that do that when they die, they are brought immediately into God's presence and their body goes into the grave, And then when Christ returns, those who have died will come with him. Their bodies will be brought back to them and put in a glorified state where they can't sin, they can't experience sickness or pain or heartache. And those who are on earth at that time who are Christians will get new bodies as well. They'll be glorified the instant Christ comes. Their bodies will be glorified. Some have said, what if you get cremated? Do you still get a glorified body? Yes. Human beings cannot thwart the plan of God. When Christ comes, he says all his people will have a glorified body, and they will. He will be true to his word. God creates the new heavens and the new earth where we will live as glorified people with him. Then as Christians, we will inhabit this place called the new heavens and the new earth and it will be as real and tangible and spatial as this one. This idea that when we die and spend eternity, we'll spend it in kind of this ghostly kind of weird um, floating on clouds type of place, that is not in the Bible anywhere. The new heavens and the new earth will be real. It'll be tangible. It'll be as real as this one, full of things to discover and explore and to do. It'll be an amazing place that we can't even fathom because of what I'm going to tell you later in this sermon. Another question came up, will my pet be in the new heavens and new earth? Like I said last time, not if it's a cat. There won't be cats there. They're part of the fall. I'm not a cat person. No, cats will be there. Someone asked me to clarify that from first service. There will be cats there. There will be animals in the new heavens and new earth. We see that. However, will our exact pet be there? That I don't know. I can't tell you that from scripture, but I can tell you this, that our joy in the new heaven and new earth will be so full, so complete, so unlike so greater than any joy we've experienced in this life that the joy even our pets give us in this life will be a fraction of the joy that we will experience every single moment in the new heaven and new earth trust me you won't be lacking anything the new heaven and new earth will be perfect it'll be perfect No heartache, no pain, no suffering, no sin, no shame. If you look at verse 16 at the end, it says, for the former troubles will be forgotten and hidden in my sight. In the middle of verse 17, it says, the past events will not be remembered or come to mind. It's gonna be a glorious place. Now, does does this mean there'll be no lasting memories of the bad things in this life? Like we won't remember anything that's bad? I don't think that's what that means, to be honest with you. Because we will remember the cross. We will always remember the cross. Where our Savior went and experienced brutality so that we and death so that we could live. So the cross will be known to us. So I'm not sure this means that we won't have any lasting memories of bad things on this earth. But what I do think it means is what most Bible scholars agree is what Derek Thomas wrote here, that the joy and the fullness of life in the new heavens and new earth will so outweigh any evil of our current existence that the memories of such evil will have no opportunity to rise up and haunt us, and I would add, like they do now. It's going to be an amazing place. It's going to be joy fulfilled that we have never, ever seen. Experienced. I always like to give you resources. As long as we have Derek Thomas up here, is one of my favorite pastors and theologians. He has a book called Heaven on Earth. It's a small, thin book, easily read that talks about the new heavens and the new earth. It's kind of uh, will help if you want more information about what I've talked about in this series. I highly recommend that book. The new heaven and new earth will be a perfect place. All that God first intended for us. When God first created human beings to interact with them, he created the Garden of Eden, this perfect, perfect place. Then sin entered the world. And there was a separation between God and humanity because of the rebellion that took place. Now Jesus came and started a new kingdom. He came to earth. He bore our sin, went to the cross, died in our place, paid our penalty for sin, gives us the offer that if we receive him into our life, we have eternal life. Then he comes again. You see, when we present the gospel, we often stop there, but we have to keep going because the full gospel is when he comes again, he will set up the new heavens and the new earth that looks so much like the Garden of Eden, but even better. And he will rule and reign forever in his goodness. There will be no injustice, no pain, no heartache, no suffering, no sin, no shame. And it will be like that forever and ever. What an amazing place. Goodness and fellowship with God unhindered from the things that hinder us today. And like I said, not only will it be perfect, but the new heavens And the new earth will be eternal. Once God has established the new heavens and the new earth, it will never, ever, ever wear out. It will never, ever, ever become boring. It will never, ever, ever be temporary. The new heavens will last forever and ever and ever. And we will be with him there, with our loved ones who know him in this glorious paradise And the ultimate soul fulfillment will take place. Life with God that will never, ever, ever, ever end. Think about that. It will be the perfect existence. Life with God that will never, ever end. This is it. This is what as Christians we set our hearts on. This is what we set our hope in. We set our hope in the fact that Jesus promised us he's going to come back for us and when he comes back, he's going to set up his reign and rule forever and ever. Satan and evil will be done away with. All the things that call us pain and suffering will be done away with, never to happen again and we will live in this ultimate, soul-fulfilling, soul-satisfying paradise place with our Savior forever and ever and ever. He wins. And when we're in the here and now, in the suffering, and people say, if God was a loving God, why did he create evil? Why would he love? Because the story is not done yet. We're only in the middle of the book. When he comes again, he is going to Establishes heaven. Why didn't God do anything? He did do something. He sent his son to die for our sin, to take his sin upon himself, to pay for his sin on the cross so that we can reign forever and ever with him in a paradise that we can't even imagine. He did something. It's going to be an amazing place. This verse also talks about it as a new city. Look at verses 18 and 19. Then be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I will create Jerusalem. And the Jerusalem he's talking there is the new Jerusalem. It's another word for the new heavens and new earth. To be a joy and its people to be a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will no longer be heard in her. What a promise from God. It's hard for us in this day and age to imagine what the city of Jerusalem meant to the people of God in the Old Testament. It was more than just a city. It was more than just a capital city. It was the place you went to get your sin atoned for. It was the place you went to get a clean conscience from your sin. It was the place you journeyed to to receive forgiveness from God. And once a year, people would pilgrimage to Jerusalem, to experience this cleansing of the soul that took place. And God captures that in verse 19, where this will be a place, this new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem will be a place where we'll never have to do that because it'll already happen. We'll be made perfect forever. The phrase he has in verse 19, where it says, I will rejoice in Jerusalem, and be glad in my people, that's a symbol that in this new heaven and new earth, there's going to be a perfect relationship between God and human beings that are with him. There'll be a perfect, unhindered relationship. We cannot imagine sinless existence because we've never tasted such a thing. We have never gotten to that place to even taste for a moment, even as Christians, sinless existence. When we have a sinless existence, the awareness of our senses will be enlightened and we will be able to relate to God in such a way that we never have before and we'll be able to do that forever and ever and ever. It will be absolutely amazing This tells us it'll also be city-like. Cities are places of influence and creation and culture and enterprise and development. We can believe that that will happen in the new heavens and the new earth. It'll be a place of all that and more as we're going to see. God's vision for the new heavens and new earth is beyond what we can comprehend. Look at verse 20. In her, a nursing infant will no longer live only a few days, or an old man not live out his days. Indeed, the one who dies at 100 years old will be mourned as a young man. You're saying, wait a minute, there's going to be death in the new heaven? No, there's not. This is Hebrew poetic language to prove a point, and I'll tell you what it is in a minute. And the one who misses 100 years will be considered Cursed. This is a Hebrew way of saying we're going to live forever and ever and all the things in the here and now that pull down our hearts, that burden us with pain will be no more. They will not exist. Life will be everlasting. No more injustice. No more things that cause us to scratch our head and say why. God is saying... My people will live out the fullness of life in the ways he intended his people to live. And they will do that forever and ever and ever. This chapter also tells us the new heavens and new earth are going to give us a new way of life, a new way of living. This last part, Isaiah, gives us a series of pictures to express as close as we can get, I think, anywhere in Scripture, what the new heavens and new earth are. Will be like. So let me read verses 21 to 25. People will build houses and live in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build and others will live in them. They will not plant and others eat. For my people's lives will be like the lifetime of a tree. My chosen ones, there's that phrase again, will fully enjoy the work of their hands. So there will be work there that we will enjoy. They will not labor without success or bear children destined for disaster, for they will be a people blessed by their Lord along with their descendants. Even before they call, I will answer. While they are speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion will eat straw like cattle. But the serpent's food, he's reversing the curse here. There's language of the serpent back in Genesis 3 when the humankind rebelled against God and God cursed the land. He's reversing that curse. The serpent's food, which was part of that curse, will be dust, no more. They will not do what is evil or destroy On my entire holy mountain, says the Lord. What a picture. In these verses, we see a life of fruitfulness and fulfillment. Instead of frustrations that we have in this life, we will live in a place where there will be no more frustrations. Can you imagine? In the new heaven, new earth, we will reap the fruits of our labors, we will occupy buildings, we'll eat crops that are cultivated. These verses are painting a picture of life enjoyed at the highest level a human being can imagine. The apex of soul satisfaction. It will not be possible to experience any more joy than we will experience there. And on top of no frustration, no disappointment, there will be no injustices, no accidents, no abuse, No cancer, no pain. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? We cannot fathom imagining in a perfect society because we have never experienced anything close. It's also gonna be a life free from trauma and suffering. The picture the Bible uses here is one of watching our children suffer. It's hard to find a pain greater For a parent, than to see their children suffer. We have this attitude as parents. If you're a parent, you know this. Do whatever you have to do to me, but leave my child alone. That's our heartbeat. And that's the heartbeat of God. And He's gonna make it so that will never, ever have to be experienced again. In the new heaven and the new earth, traumatic events will never, ever take place. And it'll be that way forever and ever and ever and ever. There will also be a life of perfect harmony with God. You will no longer have to agonize over guilt. You will no longer have to repent of your sin. Your brokenness and guilt-bound living will be gone. And this harmony life, perfect harmony with God is expressed in two ways in these verses. First, we see this deep, close communion with God. Using the idea of prayer in verse 24, look at when he says, even before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. There's this idea that the desires that are on God's heart and the desires that are on our heart will be the exact same. There'll be such a close union between us and God, we will never ever have to pray if it's your will. Because we will live and experience everything that is his will and anything that is not his will will never ever be present or with us again. There is such a tie here between our relationship with God. It is suggesting that this will be the closest relationship God and a human being have ever experienced or will experience. Complete and amazing relational fulfillment with the living God of the universe, no less a relationship filled with love, peace, joy, in levels unimaginable to us now. We will have been made so right in our glorified bodies, it'll be impossible to ask something of God that is not his will. Our relationship with God will will be the fulfillment of what Jesus said in Matthew 5.8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And looking into the gaze of God's eyes in the new heaven and new earth will fulfill our deepest longings, longings that we weren't even aware existed in our soul. And after that, we will see everything else in a new light. Pastor and author Randy Elkhorn says this, seeing God will be like seeing everything else for the first time. We will discover that seeing God is our greatest joy and actual life itself. Every other joy in heaven will be flowing from the fountain of our gaze into the eyes of our God. Not only will there be this close, deep communion with God, second, we will no longer live under the curse. In Genesis 3 When the human beings rebelled against God, God cursed the land, made it hard to work. And now in verse 25, we see a reversal of the curse. Did you notice the wolf and the lamb feeding together? You see how that doesn't make sense in our day and age? Have you ever seen a wolf and a lamb hanging out today? No, no. Lamb is food for wolf. Wolf and lamb hanging out together, grazing together. The curse is gone. The new heaven and new earth is gonna be ruled by God's rightness. Lions will eat straw. Dangerous beasts no longer. Little children will be safe playing with lions. It'll be an amazing place. And I believe it's gonna be something that we can't even fathom in this day and age. But this is what God wants to do. He wants our hearts set on such a place. I answered as many questions as I could about the new heaven, new earth that you asked, but I want to give you a resource that's absolutely amazing. There's a little booklet called Biblical Answers to Common Questions About Heaven by Randy Alcorn. It's back on the table. And there's enough for everybody. We have plenty. You can take one as you leave. In this book, it's packed with all sorts of questions about heaven The present heaven, the new heaven, and new earth. If you read the introduction, it's pretty much a whole introduction to what the new heaven and new earth will be like. You can just use it as a resource. Look up the questions and answer them. You can take that on your way out. How amazing this new heavens and new earth is gonna be. And we get to be there only because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Very few of us live entirely in the present, right? Most of us live for tomorrow. We think about five years down the line. We look to the near future. And I think God created that in us to look to this. The problem is we stop short. He wants us to set our hearts on this new heaven, new earth, where we're with him In this perfect state forever. But most people stop short and instead they try to create something that will satisfy their longings in the here and now. They try to immerse themselves in creating wealth. They try to build reputations that will cause others to notice them. They try to build some legacy that will long last them so that they will be forever remembered on this earth. And the same story has been true of humanity since the fall of the Garden of Eden to today. It was even true when Jesus was on earth. People always missed the idea of what he was about. It was true after he ascended into heaven. People's hearts were attached to this world in a way God wanted it to be attached to the future world. The apostle Peter wrote about it and he saw false teachers being leading people away for cash he saw people infusing themselves by gossiping and slandering about others as almost like that was the energy they needed to run on he saw people giving themselves to every kind of sexual immorality to fill this misguided pleasure within them He saw prideful Christians taking and dispelling theological knowledge for the sake of trying to have people look up to them. He saw abuse and torture and betrayal beyond what he thought was possible. He saw oppression for the poor, abuses of power. He saw corruption beyond anything imagined. All this horror and sin he saw in the here and now. And what was his response? 2 Peter 3, 10-13. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Look to the coming of Christ. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved. And the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. Because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Peter's answer was to look to the new heavens and the new earth. Look to eternity with our Savior and King who will rule and reign forever. Jesus said when he ascended heaven, I am leaving you, and he did. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you in my Father's house and he did. And Jesus said, I am going to return to take you home. And he will. Let us set our hearts and minds on that which Jesus has promised. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we stand here as a grateful people, grateful for the amazing promise that are in, is in your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for all that you do is right and good. We thank you that what we live in in the here and now is not the end of the story, but the blip of eternity. God, I pray that you would create in us people of eternity, create in us people who will live for eternity. God, I ask that you would help us be released from any attachment to this world that isn't of you, that we can long for and live for the world to come. And God, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Please stand for our benediction. We're going to do something a little bit different for the benediction today, because why not, right? Might as well flow with the theme. Uh, For the benediction, I thought it'd be really cool. We've done this a few times here across you in the past, but I thought it'd be cool for us as a congregation to sing the doxology together, acapella. Uh, Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say that. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about when I say that. Uh, The doxology is a a hymn of thanks and worship to God that's been sung in the churches throughout the ages. If you're not familiar with it, that's totally fine. Just sit back and enjoy. Uh, The rest of you who do know it, I'm going to start it, but please don't leave me hanging, all right? Join in as we sing as a church family together and worship our God as we close, all right? Praise God from